be the church. If you've been with us for any length of time, there's a little uh, modification of that nursery rhyme that we like to do, right? So if you've been with us, put your fingers together, right? Now, the way that I was taught was, here's the church, open the ears of people, open the doors, right? See all the people, but in that, there was no one there. So it was kind of weird, right? So, so I modified it. So if you can, you put your fingers this way, right? You put your fingers that way, and we do this. And what, what we say, kind of a little more biblically accurate, you say, here's a building, say, here's a building, with or without a steeple. Okay, so you have your choice. Go ahead, steeple people, go ahead, do that, non-steeple people, that's cool, right, right? So here's a building, with or without a steeple, open the doors, the church is the people, right? Find yourself, say hello, good morning, right? Find yourself, you're right there, right? So... Building with or without a steeple, open the doors. The church is the people, right? Very important because uh, as we've been talking about uh, where we're going as a church and whether or not you're called to this church, we have to understand biblically what is the church. Because today, probably some of you said, oh, I have to go to, to church. And then you ask, hey, what are you going to do after church? Nothing wrong with those statements because there is a sense where church is a place you go to. But if you stop there, you're missing out really on God's plan for you. God's plan for his church. In fact, uh, turn to Romans 12, right? We This year our theme has been transformation. So Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, right? Transformation is metamorphosis. Right? As a believer in Christ, God says, hey, come walk with me. And like a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, I'm going to do something supernatural crazy in your life. And you are a new creation. And day by day, as long as you're on this planet and walk with me in the spirit, I want to transform you more and more into the image of Jesus. Transformation, right? So Romans 12, 1 and 2, we've looked at this almost every week this, this year, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Right? It says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. So here's the deal. How many of you would would consider yourself someone who has grown up in the church? I grew up in the church, right? Now, those hands probably represent a vast spectrum of church experience, good or bad, church uh, definitions in your mind, expectations of the pastor, expectations of the congregation or laity, depending on how you were raised, right? And so even in a room this size, when I say the word church, we have to be careful because your meaning through all your experiences might be radically different than the person sitting in front of you because of their experiences with this thing called church. And so what do we do with all of this the diversity, we have, to, we have to look to the truth. We have to be rooted and grounded in what God says 
His church is supposed to be. You see, we're, we're excited, and it's okay. We're excited about moving our, our address, our physical address, to 1290 East Grand, and, and we're excited about that. Nothing's wrong. I, I'm excited about it. But the church doesn't change if it's the people. Amen? The church being the people should be the same or in transformation. You right here, you should be able to go, whoop, and let's just all take a field trip and go to 1290 right now. Nothing should be necessarily different. Because God's word is the same regarding his church, whether it's 105 East Sokotopa or 1290 Grand. The question for all of us is, do I really understand, do I know what God's plan is for the church, and am I applying it to my own life in terms of my own choices regarding his church? Because it's his, right? Amen? It's it is Matthew sixteen eighteen. Let's go, let's go to your left. Matthew sixteen eighteen. We saw a very powerful verse, very simple verse, but very very profound, depending again on your upbringing. All right. Matthew sixteen eighteen. Jesus is talking to his voice. And then he says to Peter, Matthew 16, 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build, what? My church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It's Jesus' church. And you're like, oh yeah, no brainer. Well, kind of, for some of you. But see, for me, I grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition. And that verse, A, I didn't even know it existed. And B was interpreted quite differently to justify that it was the Vatican's church. And in the Roman Catholic tradition, the Pope is the ultimate authority. And and so in my tradition and and, and, and the way I was raised going to Mass beautifully every Sunday since I as far as I can remember, when I became a believer, I had it took me time to get to get through and, and process and be transformed in the renewing of my mind about my understanding of church. And that church wasn't just something I go to for 45 minutes Sunday, unless the Chargers are playing, then it's Saturday night, right? Because the church is something I go to that kind of fits my schedule. And then once I leave church, I kind of know that there's a God because I believe in God. But being the church, this, this phrase, being the church, like you saw in the video, not even on my radar. Not even on my radar that I was still part of the church and called to be the church Sunday afternoon to the next Sunday. I, it was pretty much compartmentalized. I go to church and then I get my life back. And I did church really well. I memorized it. If you've grown up in the Roman Catholic tradition, you know, they're very liturgical and they have their their kneel and stand and all the responses, I can still walk into a Catholic church right now and do it without looking. I don't even need the book. Right, Tina? I, I can do it right now, by memory. Just, and I'll, I'll fit right in. You know the cues, you know everything. That's how ingrained this idea of church was, but what was just as much ingrained, that when it was over, it was over. That truth was just as ingrained as the actual order of service. So, I'm with you in this idea of trying to understand God's plan for church and what it means to be the church. 
And for me, I've had to say, okay, let me, let me go back to the source. I've got to go to the source. I've got to go to the builder, the architect, right? Jesus says, I will build my church. He's the architect. He's the owner. So if we're going to understand church and what the implications of that when you leave here, literally when you leave here, we have to ask the builder, the architect, right? What's his blueprint? What's his blueprint? And so last week we saw, turn to your right, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12. First Corinthians twelve twelve. Again, I encourage you last week, and please I encourage you this week. Just because you hear the word church, please don't check out on me. Like, oh yeah, been there, done that. I get it. Church, church, church. Hang in there, because just from my own experience, we all carry some deeply ingrained beliefs that we don't even know we care about even this thing called church. Case in point, the choices you'll make once you leave here. That, you want to know what you believe about being the church? At 1 o'clock, say, what have I done since I left? Have I still been the church? Has it even been on my radar? Has the reality of being the church impacting me 2 o'clock at Forest Home? See? Or is it just picnic? Okay, so just, just kind of, I, I share that with you as an encouragement not to check out. So 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts, and though it's, all its parts are many, they form one body. I would say one body. Right? So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized. That word baptized means placed into, okay, identified with. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So what was the major point from last Sunday? Hey, if you're a believer on Jesus, if you're a Christian, you're in. See, because right away, some of us, we have this idea, oh, I'm gonna, uh, let me decide. Let me decide. And I get that. Sometimes you're seeking the Lord on a local fellowship of where to land and commit. I get that. But sometimes that can slide very subtly into, well, let me just sit back. And let me just choose if I'm going to be a part of this. And if we're not careful, this sort of meism and my right to decide extends to the church universal. So last week it sounded real simple, but the application, the challenge was, what do you do with the truth that you're already in, guys? If you believe on Jesus, if you're a Christian... According to the Bible, you're part of the church universal. You're in. So if you're sitting next to a believer, just say, hey, give him a little nudge and say, you're in, buddy. <laughs> you're in. It, it. Okay, so some of you are already uncomfortable. Because that inness means it's not just me and my life. It's not on my terms any longer. Oh, you mean I'm in? It's like being drafted. In the best way possible. In the best way possible. See, you're in. So rather than going through days and weeks of attending and kind of going, well, let me decide. Let me, let me, let me, what do I think about that? Let me, let me just evaluate that. Hmm. Does that fit, does that fit my box? 
That's radically different than saying, oh man, Lord, I'm in? I'm already in? Then what am I supposed to be doing? He gave us roles, responsibilities. The Bible calls them gifts. See, one of the, 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 the specific applications, one of the challenges, is that when you're like this, deciding, what you're really saying is, hey, church, serve me. When you understand that you're already in, it's, hey, Lord, how do I serve the church? See? And why is this difficult? I'll be honest with you. Because we are ingrained in this culture to develop and succeed in building our own little kingdom. We're kingdom builders. In the United States, the American dream essentially is work really hard to build your kingdom. As defined by whatever, two cars, one and a half kids, a dog and a cat, or eight, or eight, whatever, the, however many you have, right? The house with the picket fence, right? And so we're ingrained through school, through the value system of the, of, of the United States. Go out there and build your kingdom. Your kingdom. You don't know how deeply that's entrenched until you go, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. Really? Leave all. And join my kingdom. Did he really mean that? It's all, all in the Greek. Did he really mean all? Because then it becomes an issue of whose kingdom are you serving? Whose kingdom are you about? Right? You can't serve two masters. Take up your cross and follow me. What he's really saying in many ways is, hey, I know you've been raised to build your kingdom. If you want to come follow me, you're in, but now it's all about my kingdom. So let's get real uncomfortably practical. Time, money, use of resources. See, we can assent. Amen, brother. All about the kingdom. Hey, hallelujah. All about the kingdom. You want my what? Then it gets real. Here's the thing. The more you and I surrender our kingdom and, and yield and walk in his kingdom, you are transformed. You are transformed. And we get to celebrate that and just come alongside you. Some of you this morning are serving and doing things in his church a year, two, three ago. You would never have thought possible. Amen? You're sitting here like, honey, can you believe we're going to that church at 730 to set up? <laughs> You asked them three years ago, it's like, what time is it? Ah, oh, we can roll in, Pastor. You don't care. We'll just roll in. Right? And the more you've given up your kingdom to his kingdom, he's transforming you. And, and your life is changing. You're joyfully serving. You made more friends. You're engaged in the church community. Why? Because you're yielding to his kingdom. Because it's his church. So you're already in. You're in. Some that's and 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 I, and I say this and you're like why does he why does he like stay on something and repeat it so much because this is one of those deeply entrenched truths whose kingdom whose kingdom are you really prioritizing yeah that that that's not that's not a you know 
a quick fix in 30 minutes. That's a go home and, and have a come to Jesus moment. Where you lay it all before him and you say, Lord, is it really still been about me? And, 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 and not to, it's not a guilt thing. And it's not a like, you know, I'm not up here to wag things. Because I'm just with you. I'm just with you. You know? And sometimes we try to bargain. Lord, I gave you 8 out of 10. Can't I just keep these two? Please. I'm not hurting anyone. Please. And maybe for a season, he kind of like, oh, he struck a deal. And then he, hey, you know that two? Let's start working on the two. It's progressive. I get it. Okay? So we're already in. Whose kingdom are we about, right? Turn to Colossians, and, and we're going to continue helping us understand this church. So he's the owner. He's the builder. He already puts us in. You're already in. Okay? Look at Colossians 1.18. Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Everything, right? Beginning of verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. Right? There's a little word, right? He is. That's present tense. Meaning, as we sit here at... 959. Jesus is the head. He's still present tense, actively leading, controlling, guiding, empowering his church. And who's a part of that? Put your hand up! Come on! This is happening right now. This is not theory. Let me explain this to you. This is not theory and this is not past tense like Jesus just said that in Matthew. So that was like, oh, that was for that. No. Colossians 1.18 says, He is the head. Like, at this very second, Jesus is the head of his church universal, of which you are a part if you're a believer. This is present tense. This is not theory. This is like, we. it's now. This is not theory. A lot of times in churches, I, 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 had, I listened to this pastor, and I love this. It stuck with me. He goes, you know what? Great that people go to church. And that they even feel some conviction, maybe remorse, maybe feel a little bit, oh, gosh, yeah, that's not right. Oh, I need to do something about that. And the pastor says, you know what? The devil, he doesn't really mind that you come to church. The devil doesn't really mind that you feel bad. What really torques the devil is when you choose to do something. Think about that. If you're in the habit of just coming to church, hearing a message, and feeling bad, but then when you leave, there's no change, there's no true repentance based on what you heard, no true application, the devil's happy with that. Because all he's got is a bunch of Christians who go to church once a week and leave feeling bad. And that's not such a bad thing for him, because you go into the community, you go to Ojai Cafe Emporium. Hey, how are you doing today? Fine. Hey, where are you coming from? Church. 
<laughs> Think about that. From here, some of you will go out into the community. What is your demeanor having just come from church? What is your demeanor? Because the community wants to know. Hey, you know that couple at table 10? They just came from church. Woo! They look miserable! Is that what we're about? Come to church so you can hear from God's word, feel really miserable, and then God bless you. See you next week. Invite a friend. Come on! Come on! We gotta do something! Transformation happens in the walking of the Spirit, the obedience. Amen? Right? So, so you gotta, that's why I'm saying, I get it. I get this view of church is so deeply entrenched that when you leave here, all your habits, all your thought patterns, your worldview wants to default back to what you walked in with this morning. You just want to default. This idea of being the church is foreign to some. Because you're going to leave here, I'm going to say amen, let's go get coffee and donuts, and right away you're going to default to church is over. How do I know? I say the same thing sometimes. <laughs> church is over. Whew. Let's go get a donut. I have to catch myself. Still. Still. Because that's so that's how deeply ingrained it was in me. That it's over. And now it's my life. Back to my agenda. It never is. If you're a believer, you're always in 24-7. 365. Amen? Alright. So he says, he is, present tense, head. Right? Command, authority. He guides and directs. Right? Look what it says there. He is the head of the, the, uh, the body, the church. Another important thing. The church is not an organization. Just say not an organization. The church is a body, a living organism. A living organism. Kind of like the word picture. I was thinking, Lord, how do we understand this? I was looking at YouTube last night. You ever see like these huge swarms of like sardines or anchovies? Right? And like from a distance, it just looks like this black cloud moving through the water. And then when they zoom in, it's made up of millions and millions of these anchovies moving in unison. Right? These bait balls and stuff. And I was like, that's the church. From a distance, it kind of looks like this, this is a big thing. But as you zoom in, the church is made up of millions and millions of believers. Hopefully swimming in unison to the head. Amen? We move in unison. That's what we are. It's not an organization. Sure, the state of California requires us to do some things as a nonprofit. We even have to have this annual meeting as a legal requirement. But the Bible teaches we are an organism. We are an organism. Check it out. That is organized. We are an organism that is organized because God is a God of order. We're not an organization. Now, there are some churches that are run very organizationally. The pastor sees himself as a CEO, and we get these all these org charts, and, do, 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 and it's run like an organization. At its core, though, we're a body. We're an organism. And what matters to me and this leadership team, most importantly, is the health of the organism. Amen? See, it's not, and it's not, when I say health, it doesn't mean we double in numbers. It's not a numbers thing. 
Because if you if you understand bodybuilding, there's a lot of bodybuilders that look huge and look like they're going to win competitions, but the stuff they put in them, they're the most unhealthy guys on the planet. So it's not about how big the church gets and how many numbers and what, how many people are going to come to the well. and all. It is about each person here being spiritually healthy. Spiritually healthy. And by default, healthy organisms grow. And if God sees fit over time to bring more people, awesome, in his time. My concern is for each of you and your health and your love for Jesus. Amen? That's why we're not in a rush around here. That's why we're not in a rush. So, he's the head of the body. Ephesians 1.23 says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. That's Ephesians 1.23. Sorry. Right? So here's the radical thing, guys. If you're sitting here like, oh, man, I never heard this about the church, and man, this is really tough. Understand that the first century church, they had their whole paradigm of church rocked as well. And I don't think they liked it either. Because in Ephesians 2.14, let's turn to Ephesians, one couple books to your left. Look at Ephesians 2.14. Ephesians 2.14 says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier dividing wall of hostility. Who's he talking about? Jews and Gentiles. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. You know this early church, when it was birthed, guys, i got to tell you something. It was completely radical. Revolutionary. In fact, a lot of people said, what? He's what? Because what he says right there is the human distinction between Jews and Gentiles is no more. Now, we don't really understand the radical nature of that. That was revolutionary, mind-numbing, angering. What? Are you kidding me? And then, don't turn to read, let me read this. Galatians 3, 26 and 29. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed you. Okay, now watch this. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What? See, this, this, this concept of the church being open to all true believers destroyed, destroyed the cultural norm of separation and compartmentalization of races and, and male and female, slave or free. All these compartments that the society had created, Jesus comes in and says, hey, you know what? If you believe me, we're all in this together. So turn to the person next to you and say, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. Now, we celebrate that, but my point in going here is that if some of you are struggling at the core with your, with, oh, I don't know if I like this. I don't know if I like what Jesus did. I don't know. If this was up to me. I wouldn't build it this way. I share this with you because the early church, the early believers had to be challenged at the core in their transformation. He's what? They're welcome here? They're welcome here? 
I was always told, I was always taught, in my synagogue, they weren't allowed. What? The culture was turned on its head. Because if you believe on Jesus, you are one in Him, and then you are one united together in Him as one body. Amen? That's a radical transformation, guys. So you're not alone if you're sitting here like, oh, man, this is... I told you we shouldn't have come today. You know? Yeah, 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 because it's 24-7, 365. It's a radical view of church. As radical as what we just read in the early church. All the barriers have been broken down. What? I don't know if I want to go there. I don't know if I like that. I'm not going there. Because they're going to be there. Okay, who's your focus? Me? Is it all about me? Or is it about his kingdom? Is it my kingdom and my definition of church? Or is it his kingdom and his definition of church? Yeah. I get it. I get it. And here's the, here's the, here's the, Wonderful vision. It's not a heavy thing. I, I encourage you to embrace it joyfully. Okay? Embrace it. Work through it. Right? As someone used to, used to tell me, lean into it. Lean into it. Right? Even when things happen in your life and the first thing you want to do is bolt for the exit, I'm going to encourage you, lean into it. Stay right where you are. Okay? Discomfort oftentimes is a sign that God's moving. Okay? So hang in there. All right? Because we're all excited. How many of you are excited to go to the well? How many? Right? And you understood John, the passage from John about living water. How many of you are excited about people coming to meet Jesus as the living water at the well? Right? You. How many of you have thought that you're the living water? What? See, you're excited about inviting people to the well because they want to meet Jesus, who's the living water. Yeah, and who's Jesus going to use to personify living water? Who? Ah! You're the living water! No, Pastor, I'm just supposed to invite them and you be the living water. Isn't that your job? That's why they don't pay you? I'm going to invite them, you be living water. No, 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 no! Remember that little phrase, we're all in this together? When someone comes to the well and they leave refreshed, it's not just me, it's everybody. It's the conversations before service, it's the conversations after service, and let me, let me help you out, it's happening today. You're living water already, it's not going to be, it's happening now. You're already living water, why do people get blessed, why do I hear such wonderful things about you? Because you're already being living water. It already is. This is a word of affirmation and encouragement. We already are. I hear wonderful things about you, not you, from our visitors. I just want to affirm you with this, right? So, how do we, what are some help? Pastor, help me, because I'm like, this kingdom issue, this tug of war, help me out here. Help me out. Okay, turn to Luke. I'm going to look at some help here. Luke 22. First help. The first help is to understand what it means to be in covenant, not with OBCF, but with Jesus. Luke 22, 
We'll start in verse 19. We'll start in verse 19. Luke 22, 19. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Right? I, remember I told you how ingrained I was in the Roman Catholic Church? Here's, here's the crazy thing. That verse, 19. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know what, right now? And in the Roman Catholic Church, that is the exact spot where they ring the bells. The altar boy rings the bells. I just heard the bells. This is crazy. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. It's covenant. What does the word covenant mean? It means will or testament, right? When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you often hear it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Well, more specifically, more biblically, it is a covenant relationship, guys. Covenant. Okay? Very much like husband and wife type of covenant, right? So if we're going to, if we're wrestling with yielding and surrendering to his view of the church, we have to go back to our view of my relationship with him, okay? So I'm in covenant. Everyone say covenant. And you're like, what does that mean, right? Covenant. That's kind of a churchy word, not, not used very much. Very specific, and we have to understand this. That word covenant in that verse is a Greek word. I put it in your notes, right, so you can have it and Think about it, meditate on it, pray about it. It's called diatheki. Everyone say diatheki. Right? So when he says this is the new covenant, that word is diatheki. Diatheki means there's a relationship between two people. One of the people is a greater, like a king. Another, the other person is a lesser, like a vassal, a serf, a servant. So diatheki says there's an agreement there's a, there's, there's a covenant between two people, a greater and a lesser. Okay? Under diatheki, the greater sets all the terms. And the lesser can either, has two options, accept it or reject it. That's diatheki. Everyone say diatheki. Right? Soontheki is me and Bill sit down as equals and we negotiate. Right? Me and John sit down and we hash out a contract. We're, we're, we're equals. We're peers. That's soon taking. When you and I come to God, it is diatheki. Now, I don't think many of us, it's not taught, and I wish it was taught, because how many of you know John 3.16? Okay, so let's say, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Um, who just set the terms? That's the greater God setting the terms of salvation. He just set the terms. John 3.16 is a diatheki invitation. It's not open for negotiation. Even more so, John 14.6. Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Diatheki or Suntheki? Diatheki. See, salvation is God's grace on God's terms. That issue, for many of us, probably has not been settled or even addressed or taught. 
and, and we sort of developed this soon-baking relationship with God. Where our obedience and our relationship with God is, is like a roller coaster up and down because we're sort of wanting to negotiate as partners with Him. Some things I, oh yeah, diatheki, yeah, God says this. And then when He touches that 2%, we want to call Him to the negotiation, right, John? We want to call Him negotiation. Because it's no longer diatheki, it's now, we want it to be tunbeki. We want to negotiate with God about these, these, these core issues. If you're going to understand church and take your place in his church, you may have to settle the issue of diatheki. You came to God on his terms. He sent his son. He took the initiative. And he says, whoever believes in my son will never perish but have eternal life. Jesus says, yeah, there's only one way. It's me. That is 100% diatheki. So we came to salvation under a diatheki covenant, greater to lesser. And now so much more of those commandments of Jesus. If you love me, you'll obey me. All of these, these obedience commands really emanate from the fact that when we entered into covenant with God, it has and always will be diatheki. Greater to lesser. So we are challenged. Okay, think about it. When you're challenged in your life in an area of obedience, now you can reframe it as diatheki versus sumtiki, right? If you're struggling with making, you're struggling with, you're not the boss of me. If you're struggling with that, this is mine, you can't make me, you're not the boss of me, right? All this stuff, right? This individualistic, autonomous nature we have that's reinforced in our culture. If you're struggling with that, what you're really struggling with is diatheki versus sumtiki. So you're like, okay, so how do I deal with that then? If I'm struggling with diatheki versus sumtiki, I want to be transformed, I want to make progress, and now, boom, I get it. Oh, man, all those rebellious areas, all those times where I'm like, make me. You can't make me. If you understand it now in diatheki, sumtiki, you go, okay, so help me out with that. What do I do with that? How do, you, how do I get over that? How do I yield? How do I just submit? Okay, how do you do that? You've got to go to the cross. You've got to go to the cross. It's called redemption. You've got to understand. Turn to 1 Corinthians. Turn to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 6. First Corinthians 6. In context, they're talking about sexual sin, sexual immorality. But the principle is very helpful for us to start understanding redemption, right? Look at this. First Corinthians 6, we'll start in 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Everyone go, row, row. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. See, that's another verse that just blows out any sense of, well, here's my kingdom and there's God's kingdom. He says, you know what? 
A, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he repeats it in 2 Corinthians where he says, you're the temple of the living God. So right away when you leave here, you're still the temple of the living God wherever you go in this town. Amen? Okay? Mm, and it says you were bought with a price. The, the, the church word is called redemption. Redemption. Right? Turn to Ephesians 1. I'm going to wrap up before we take communion. Look at two verses. Ephesians 1. Verse 7. Ephesians 1 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And then turn several books to First uh, Peter, Hebrews, James, First Peter, chapter one. First Peter one eighteen. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. In your notes there, if you turn to the back, I put a definition of redemption that just, I think, nails it, right? Look at that. It says this. To buy back or to deliver one from a situation from which one is powerless to liberate themselves from, or for which the penalty was so costly that they could never hope to pay the ransom price. Guys, the church is made up of the redeemed. The church is made up of people who were hopeless and helplessly lost in their sin. The church is made up of people who were, if they would have died without Jesus, would have been eternally separated from God. If you're a part of the church, you've been redeemed. You've been purchased. You were bought out of slavery. And if you're part of the church and you're wondering, how do I get over the soon taking? How do I get over yielding? Go back to redemption and understand the price that was paid for you. Understand your helpless state. See, I think sometimes we struggle in surrendering to God because we don't really believe we were that helpless. We don't really believe we were that hopeless without Jesus. Because I'm a good person. I'm a good moral person. Does he really mean that? See, when you grasp the truth that separation and sin is not you being as bad as you can be, it's really about you being as bad off as you can be. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not a bad person. I'm not saying you're a bad person. What I'm saying biblically is that without Jesus, you're as bad off as you can be. 
Because the wages of sin is death, and all have sinned. So the gospel is not about these really bad people getting their act together. It's really about people understanding how bad off they were without Jesus. Amen? And how bad off were we? We're on our way to hell, and we couldn't do anything about it except for faith in Christ. The good news is we were as bad off as we could be. But he sent Jesus and redeemed us, bought us back with his blood. When you allow that truth to soak in, that you were helpless, hopeless, eternally lost, you were as bad off as you could be. And then you allow the truth that Jesus shed his blood and bought you out of slavery. And by God's grace, through faith in him, you are redeemed. Watch what happens to your surrender. Because when you get it, what? here you go. Anything else you want? You want my keys? You want anything? It's all yours because I was on my way down the chute as bad off as I could be, lost in my own sin, in my own darkness. Along comes Jesus and God's grace. I put my faith in Jesus. Boom. My name is written in heaven. I'm a new creation. I'm placed into his body and I'm surrounded by people that love me and care about me. All because of his grace. When you understand those truths, oh, watch what happens to you. Watch what happens to your life. Because what else are you going to hold on to when you compare it to Jesus' blood? What compares on this planet to Jesus' price being that blood being shed? You were bought with a price. What compares to that? What, do you, what, what can I logically say? This is mine. When Jesus did that for me. When we understand redemption, that the church is made up of the redeemed. You and me. None of us deserve to be in the church family. Let me repeat that. None of us deserve to be in the church. We don't deserve it. How many, honestly, would amen that because you know you? I'll put both hands up. I know me. There's no way. And then to be doing what I do here, crazy! I, I get squeamish thinking about what God has told me to do in this church. Because I know me. I know where I come from. I know I don't deserve this. Let alone do this. Are you kidding me? It's crazy. So I'm just going to share with you. I don't deserve this. I don't. And I'm humbled and, 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 I, and, I, and I'm mind-boggled that I'm up here every Sunday. It's ridiculous to me. Because I know me. I know where I come from. But despite my feelings, I don't camp in my feelings. And I don't camp in my past. What I have to do is say, okay, I don't really get it. And I feel super unworthy, and it makes me kind of squeamish, and my, not, my stomach goes soup, but okay. God, if you say, through faith in Christ, I'm redeemed, and if you say that I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus, okay. I don't understand it all. I feel super unworthy. I feel like, really? Have you ever been overwhelmed with a gift from someone that you feel like, really? 
this is too much. Have you ever had that moment where someone gave you a gift and you're like, this is too much? You shouldn't have. Well, multiply that by the gospel and you'll, you'll start to understand. Really, you shouldn't have. Right? You go to, you go to God about, really? For me, really? It's so extravagant. I'm just, really? You did this for me? Really? When you sit there and you can't and really? Oh, all you do is you just throw up your hands and go, thank you, Jesus. You just say, thank you. Because when Jesus died on the cross, remember he said, it is finished? To tell us that, paid in full. There was a debt that we could never pay. And along comes God in his grace, sends Jesus, and on the cross, Jesus says, hey, to tell us that. Paid in full. So when you believe on Jesus, your account in heaven, paid in full. Really? Really? Yeah, really. Yeah, really. You just got to receive it. Just receive it. Lord, thank you. Thank you for redemption. None of us deserve to be in the church. We just don't. The Bible says, you demonstrate your love while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, while we were doing our own thing in darkness. Christ died for us. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. The gospel is truly a really moment. Really? Really for me? Really? You shouldn't have. You shouldn't have. You're so unworthy. I don't even know. My mind can't even grasp this really moment. It's just so extravagant. But okay, thank you, God. Thank you. In the best way I know how, I'm just going to say thank you and receive the gift of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this gift. I have been redeemed. Purchased with the blood of Jesus. As we distribute the elements, I encourage you to have this moment where you hold the cup the cups, symbolic of Jesus' shed blood, broken body, and maybe it's just a really moment. Really? Really? For me? Purchased with the blood, the broken body of Jesus? Really? Yes, it's really. It's really. Receive it. Rejoice in it. Don't be caught up with your own unworthiness. Look to Jesus' righteousness. Don't be caught up with how bad you feel. Receive God's grace. By faith. Accept the deity terms. Accept his terms. Be adopted into his family. Become part of his church. And if you're here and you're part of the church, maybe it's been a while since you've pondered redemption. Maybe your walk with Jesus has been up and down, tight or whatever, just because you've slid away from deity and went back to sin guilty. Come back via redemption of the cross today and have a really moment.